Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. In a stunning move last week that sent shockwaves across the political landscape here in North Carolina and nationally, the Republican majority in the North Carolina House overrode Governor Cooper's veto of the state budget with nearly half of the 120 House members absent, mostly Democrats. With a called early vote on the morning of September 11th, the House voted 55 to 9 to override the governor's veto of the state budget. Democrats accused Republicans of holding a surprise veto override vote despite telling them that there would no votes be held that day. Republicans say they never told Democrats there wouldn't be votes. But after all the drama in the House, there's still no final state budget without Senate action, now two and a half months into the fiscal year. This week on the show, we're going to talk about that veto override and what's next with Democratic Representative Deb Butler, who became the face of last week's fireworks on the House floor, and Democratic Senator Mike Woodard, on prospects of a veto override in the Senate. We're also going to talk with two leading political reporters about the fallout from last week. Now, before we tackle our main topics, we open with our headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. The North Carolina Professional Educator Preparation and Standards Commission approved new rules last week for the state's teacher prep programs. The effort started last year with legislation directing changes in requirements for programs that prepare teachers for our state's classrooms. The commission has drafted standards and sanctions if teachers coming out of these programs fall short using such tools as annual evaluations, student academic growth, and surveys of recent graduates. The rules now go to the State Board of Education for final approval. A new state report presented last week on North Carolina's charter schools found they made improvements in meeting financial and operational goals but did not meet academic targets during the last school year. While nearly all the charter schools met financial goals, just 69% of charters met or exceeded academic growth expectations, and that's a number that has declined for several years as the schools have failed to reach the 75% threshold set by the state. Now remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org and click on Education Matters and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, House Speaker Tim Moore called for a veto override vote last Wednesday with nearly half of the members absent and successfully overrode the governor's veto of the state budget. And joining us this week to talk about it is Representative Deb Butler. She is a Democrat. Uh, representing Brunswick County and New Hanover County in the North Carolina House. I think you're in the middle of your first full term um, with the House. And then next to her is Senator Mike Woodard, who represents Durham, Granville, and Person counties in the Senate. So, well, first of all, welcome to Education Matters, both first-time guests. I thought, Senator Woodard, I thought you had been on before, but uh, it's really glad, I'm glad to have you. And I don't know, I kind of feel like I already know you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Representative Butler and, and the rest of the country is getting to know you, too. Um, we're going to start out. I'm going to roll a little clip of last week's... Okay. Uh, uh, seen on the House floor, and then we're going to talk about it. Very Let's good. take a look at it. I will not yield. There is no. You shall not usurp the process, Mr. Speaker. How dare you subject this body to trickery, deceptive practices, hijacking the process? We have been here day and night for months defending what we believe. And Wow. Okay. Well, it's been a week since all that since that scene unfolded. I guess my question for you today is, 
I mean, how do you feel now, a week later, about how that override vote was handled? You know, it's regrettable that it had to happen that way. Um, an ambush vote is not any way to govern. But the truth is, I'm so very thankful that my colleague had the presence of mind to roll the camera. As you know, there was an absence of media uh, in, the, in the chamber because they had been notified that there would be a no-vote session. So that's pretty telling, factually. So every time I hear a, a Republican say that uh, they didn't say that, I think the media and the absence thereof is pretty telling. But I'm so glad he had the presence of mind to go ahead and film what was unfolding. Otherwise, the world would be none the wiser. North Carolina would be um, uninformed on the issue. And so I guess for those reasons, I'm grateful. And um, to make sure I get my facts right, it was 8.30 in the morning. And from what I understand from the time that the, uh, uh, the first motion was made, the vote was 55 seconds later. Longest 55 seconds of my life. <laughs> right, because I know there was, some, there was some suggestion that because of a quorum, the, the, the rules of the, of the House, you had to have a, at least, what, 50% plus one. And theoretically, you could have walked out, but again, it was less well, than a Well, month. it was pandemonium for one thing, but let me just say this. You can only play by the rules with people who are rule followers. Right. And these fellows have suspended the rules countless times since I've been there, so I have no... Um, feeling that that would have been at all successful. Right. So. Well, uh, Senator Wooder, I want to ask you, um, obviously you're caught, you were watching to know what happened. I don't know how you sort of, sort of first, I, I called it on Twitter when it first started popping, but uh, did what happened in the House change or affect sort of your perspective and your Democratic colleagues knowing that, you know, kind of you're, you'd be up next, basically. So sort of how did that land in the Senate? Well, since the governor's veto uh, almost 11 weeks ago now, um, our caucus has been very strong and committed to sustaining the governor's veto. Our margin is much slimmer. We only need, we can only lose one vote um, and the veto would be overridden. We would lose the, the ability to sustain. But we've been very strong. Our 21 member caucus has been very strong. And if anything, I think what we saw last week, um, the, the uh, actions by the speaker and, and the uh, majority leaders uh, in the House has just has doubled our resolve. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to stay strong. We're going to support the governor's veto and insist on a better budget for North Carolinians. Well, let's go there about the, the better budget, because, I mean, this is, we, we talk about education on this show, as you know. This is, we had Governor Cooper on to discuss why he vetoed it. Both of you voted against the, uh, the budget in the first place, and he really <laughs> emphasized the lack of investment in public education. And, I mean, just so our viewers know, we have repeatedly invited House Speaker Tim Moore and Senator Phil Berger on the show. So far, they've declined. Invitation always stands, so mm -hmm. we'd love to have them on, hopefully will. But... Is, is public education, I'll ask you first, Representative Butler, is that one of, the, one of the primary reasons you didn't support this budget in the first place? It's a big part of it, yes, it sure is, because our teachers, again, are paid at the bottom of the barrel. You know, when you go out to a restaurant at night and you look up and a high school uh, English teacher is waiting tables as a second job, that should not be in North Carolina. We should pay them as the professionals that they are. We should value them. How are we going to retain the best and the brightest as teachers in North Carolina with, without compensating them accordingly? Right. Senator Woodard, same question for you. I mean, you've, um, I know you've been pretty outspoken about your support for public schools. Um, I uh, have. Yeah. And I think uh, the Democratic budget, even uh, after the veto, the Democrats came back with a compromise budget. That compromise budget uh, increased teacher pay an average of 8.5% versus the 3.8% in, in the Republican-passed budget. 
And more important, well, not more important, but another uh, part of this is the investment in the capital um, needs of our public schools. Uh, our proposal, the Democratic budget, had a mix of bond as well as the General Assembly's capital funding. The, the uh, Republican budget simply relied on uh, this SCIF, the Capital Investment Fund, uh, and that's not going to get the capital needs we have uh, addressed quick enough or with a long-term commitment. Right. Our budget does that. We don't want our teachers teaching in classrooms that are too hot, our students going to schools with uh, leaky roofs. Uh, we, we've got to do better about the capital infrastructure of our schools. Right, and the needs are growing. In fact, I, in fact, I just saw a headline just today, Durham Public Schools, where you represent, grew by 700 students this past year, the first time they've increased in a few years. You know, there's been a lot of talk that public school enrollment isn't growing, but in fact it is, and right. we also know uh, through class size um, mandates, we're also seeing some pressure. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the bond because so, so here's the thing though, your proposal, the Republican proposal, right now none of that is happening. I mean, do you? I guess do either do both of you? Either of you feel? I mean, some pressure because right now there's no teacher raises, there are no step, there's no step raises of even the things that they would be normally getting. There's no new money for building. Do you feel some pressure to? make something happen? What my constituents are telling me in no uncertain terms is that they want us to hold firm and create a budget that benefits all North Carolinians, not just a scant handful. Um, some of the increases afforded in the Republican budget are insults, frankly. Um, they are tokens. They're one time. They're not built with recurring money. You know, back to the infrastructure, we have an $8 billion identified need right now. And the growth in my uh, district is projected to just be astronomical. So absent some bond money, we are going to find ourselves in a real pinch without adequate um, um, facilities for our students. Well, Senator Water, I mean, so how do we move forward? I mean, it, it seems like to me that the, um, I mean, the climate must be pretty bad, I mean, in, in terms of just trust. I mean, tell me a little bit, I mean, so how do you move forward on the budget, on redistricting, on many budgets. I mean, is there an ability to, to work across the aisle and, 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 and work on some of these well, priorities? It, it, rebuilding that trust starts with dialogue. We've got to start talking to each other. Um, on the budget, I think you're going to continue to see a series of these mini budgets that come along that fund various parts of state government. But that's not an effective way to budget. Um, it leaves out a lot of the non-recurring dollars. Often these are used for school grants like after school or preschool programs um, that that's, we're not going to get. So we, we need to stop the mini budgets just as this piecemeal uh, scattershot kind of approach to budgeting and we need to continue the dialogue. Um, and so I'm hopeful that the governor will continue his conversations which he's having uh, ongoing with uh, Speaker Moore, with Senator Berger from my chamber uh, about a whole range of issues, Medicaid being one, uh, and that is a central part of these discussions, but it's broader and we've talked about the education needs mm -hmm. and other things that we need in the budget. We've got to continue the dialogue. We can't run to our corners and uh, just rely on uh, Twitter comments and press releases. Let's dialogue about this. Last word from you, uh, Representative yeah. Butler. I mean. What do you think? How, how do you move forward? Well, it's going to be a, a, a bit of a challenge, quite frankly, for a little while because trust is earned, you know, and um, they did a, a, a big disservice, I think, to North Carolina with that tactic. People don't appreciate 
cheaters. You know, they couldn't beat us on the issues. They couldn't bend our resolve. They couldn't bribe us. They couldn't win fair and square. And um, regardless of your political stripe, people want fairness. And I think that they saw um, a middle-aged woman react pretty strongly to unfairness, and uh, they didn't like it. Well, we appreciate your reaction here tonight, uh, talking to us about what's going on, and we're going to keep in touch with you as we move forward. Senator Mike Woodard, Representative Deb Butler, thanks for being here. Thank you. After a brief commercial break, we're going to be back to continue our discussion with two leading political reporters about what happens next after this very contentious week. But first, see if you can answer this question. True or false, North Carolina was the last state in the country to grant the governor veto power. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer true? On January 1st, 1996, North Carolina became the last state in the nation to grant its governor the veto power. The change was approved by voters the previous November when they overwhelmingly approved a constitutional amendment on a statewide ballot. Now, joining us now are two leading journalists here in the state capitol to help us make sense of what happened last week as best that they can. Uh, we have Dawn Baumgartner Vaughn from, she's a politics and government reporter with the News and Observer. Welcome, first time on the show, so thanks for being here. Okay. Colin Campbell, uh, editor of the North Carolina Insider, returning guest, friend of Education Matters. So thanks for being here, Colin. Thanks a lot. All right, so uh, let's get into it. North Carolina has made national news a few times in recent years, I mean, from HB2, the bathroom bill, the power struggle and the lawsuits between the governor and his power and all that, the absentee ballot fraud case and, and the special election, and now this, of course, this, this sort of surprise veto override bill again made national news. Now, I'm a native North Carolinian. Being in the news like this still kind of surprises me. It's kind of kind of hurts a little bit to sort of see the state in the middle of this. You both cover it, and you've been covering it for a few years. Um, is this just a new normal now? I'll ask you first, on. Well, I mean, it's politics, so it's, you know, there are boring meetings and exciting meetings, and this was one of those roller coaster days. You know, I started the day thinking I was covering a House Finance Committee meeting to write about mini budgets, and then this happened. So, um, normal as far as there being occasional drama on the floor. Like, I would think that would be any state government where people feel passionately about things and do what they can to pass the legislation they want to, so. Right. If I was going to ask you, since you already brought it up, were you were you there that morning? I mean, we, I mean, were, both of you, were you, were you, I mean, like I said, I saw it on Twitter. It was the first time I saw it. I mean. Nobody was there. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, I was listening live on my phone at home while feeding the baby, just in case they did a few mini-budget votes, but figuring nothing controversial was coming up and there's no reason to be in the room. Right. Yeah, so. Um, I've been covering this budget standoff and, you know, boring people in my, you know, side life, like outside of work, telling me like, oh, the latest thing in the standoff. And so, I mean, just like the um, Democrats had griped about going to those like Monday night sessions all summer, I went to them too, you know, for a while thinking, well, are they going to hold the vote? Are they not? Um, so that morning... I came in probably a few minutes after it happened. Um, Colin and Lauren Horsch, also the insider, were listening. 
And Lauren sent me a message. I think they just, you know, over uh, what? <laughs> I feel, I mean, it might have been more colorful than that. Yeah, we're exchanging tweets that included words you can't say on TV. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I was like walking from my car into the building and put my stuff down in the press room and was going up to finance, which was at nine. And this happened, uh, you know, a little bit after eight thirty. So I ran up to finance, you know, started to write the story, and Lauren sent me information that she had had from the audio and. Um, tried to grab some Republicans after, um, and they only they deferred to the leadership, which is Speaker Moore. I caught him in the hallway, but he was going into the caucus meeting, which was right next to the press conference room. And so I just waited outside. Um, I could hear applause coming from the Republican caucus meeting inside, and then the lights went on in the press conference room. And so I assumed that was maybe Moore was going to talk to us because he said he would. Um, so I just went in there, and then TV, you know, shows up. Everyone's hustling, and then the Democrats came in, and they were not happy. Yeah, that, so, well, we, we, yeah. I guess we, we saw that. Well, Colin, yeah. you, uh, you've been around the chamber now uh, over the last week. I mean, what's kind of what's the what's the vibe? I mean, what's I what, mean, there's a lot of distrust. I feel like there was a lot of partisan rancor before this happened, just the nature of the way things have been lately. Uh, but this definitely took it to a whole new level. Uh, you know, people are wondering if they need to show up to sessions where there's no votes scheduled just in case something sneaky happens that they weren't expecting. Um, and so I think it's going to be really hard for good faith negotiations, particularly over the budget if there's still a stalemate if the Senate can't override the vote themselves um, to essentially keep government functioning on a wide array of issues. Right now, I mean, like you and, and Dawn, you mentioned, I mean, politics can be rough. I mean, and it is, you know, but I mean, have you gotten, you mentioned, I mean, that was your opinion. You can just mean, but from talking to folks on either side, do you, do they, I mean, I know Democrats feel like this was something different. I mean, you got any sense that either side thinks that like maybe things kind of went to a different level than usual? I do think, and and Darren Jackson said that. He said, he, had, you know, he was the one that told the um, the Democrats that they didn't need to come if there weren't votes. And, and he said that a lot of this isn't on paper or electronic record because there's so much that happens and with short notice. So his exchange with um, David Lewis a couple times that week, he said that that's what he, that was what Lewis told him, that's what he understood, and that when you work in the building together, you need to be able to rely on your colleagues, whether or not you disagree on, you know, or your different parties, to um, that something's going to happen if you think it's going to happen. So right. I, I think the trust issues there broke down. But when you, what I think the public doesn't see generally is they do seem to get along as coworkers, like most of the time, as colleagues. And um, so I do think that's caused um, more tension than usual, knowing this, especially since everything is drug out for so long right. these past couple Well, Colin, what are, you, I mean, what are you hearing about the Senate? I mean, this is what's next. I mean, if there's going to be an override vote, uh, there, are, there were four Democratic senators who voted for the budget the first time around. At least publicly, they've said now they're all united. But what are you sort of, from a reporter's perspective, what are you hearing? Yeah, they don't seem to be in a hurry to take the vote. Um, you know, they're going away for a couple weeks and taking a break to sort of cool off. Um, I think it's very unlikely, given the public statements we've heard from the Democrats who initially voted for the budget, it's unlikely that you'd get the one vote you needed to switch sides and vote with the Republicans. The more likely scenario um, is that uh, they need two Democratic absences while all the Republicans are present in order to get that three-fifths majority they need. So if the override passes the Senate, I think that's the scenario you see. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Democrats in the Senate to show up for every single session, whether they're sick, whether they've got family problems, uh, just to make sure you don't have a situation where they've got the numbers they need. And that's what's been going on all summer. That's one thing I've told uh, folks to say. If you want to come into Raleigh and see any of your elected officials, they're here. 
because they really have been, um, you know, kind of hanging out because, which is, again, in a normal fashion, there are folks who they plan around family vacations and other special occasions, and so people are, and then people have been sick. I mean, there was at least one well-publicized, you know, uh, surgery and cancer in the house, mm -hmm. and people were, you know, coming in to be there. So I guess you're still hearing those kinds of things like we need to be there. Yeah, exactly. And then Senator Leader Phil Berger has already mentioned the possibility of more of the mini budgets coming forward, which would be an indication that they don't think the overall stalemate on the budget is going to get solved anytime soon. And there may be a need to put forth more little chunks of the budget in small bills that people can agree to to keep government functioning going forward. Y'all hearing about education? I mean, there was like you know they moved forward on state employees, but uh, but nothing came forward on education. Y'all hearing anything? Yeah, about? it's in the works. When when Warren Berger first rolled out, like this is what we're going to do, you know. The mini budgets. Um, they said they would start with state employees, and so they are starting with the least controversial. So, um, what got hung up was the um, raises for UNC system, community college, and non certified um, school workers. So, that didn't end up happening yet. So, that's got to go through, and then the teacher raises will be separate because that gets way more attention than the rest of the state employees. And I think they wanted to get the ones. That were everyone was going to be fine with out of the way first. And the worries with teacher raises, you know, the Republicans and Democrats aren't on the same page with who should get the biggest raises, how big the raises should be. So there's going to have to be some form of compromise. Right. Otherwise, there's a decent chance the governor would veto the teacher raise package that's in the budget right now. No, just by saying it wasn't, it's not big enough to make mm -hmm. it feel like this is worth doing it. So uh, I guess kind of some of the other issues, we got some little small things like redistricting going yeah. on. This doesn't exactly mm -hmm. make things easier for those sorts of dis discussions and um, sort of the last comments on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you saw a sort of party line vote on the House districts for redistricting. And I think part of the reason the Senate might have been unanimous or close to unanimous in supporting the uh, redistricting plan uh, and the House was so fractious about it was, I think, the, the, the tensions that exist in the House right now. People don't trust each other. Um, it's hard to work together um, and come up with something everybody can support. So uh, redistricting has been a part of this. Um, and, you know, now we're going to have to see what the courts do on that. Well, I understand today as we, uh, the Senator, uh, the Speaker Moore, when they wrapped up, said that we're, you know, we're taking, we're adjourning, take a little break, and maybe it's good that we uh, have a little break from each other for a little while. So we'll I see how things go. I definitely think they're tired of each other for a while. <laughs> okay. Well, um, we're not tired of having you here, but we are out of time. So, Dawn, look, thanks so much for coming on, Con. Yeah. Always great to see you, and uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch with you as things unfold. After the break, this week's final word. Regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, last week was not a good week for North Carolina. Even if you wanted to see the governor's veto of the state budget overridden, I doubt most would want to see the kind of divisiveness we already have in our political climate made worse. And there's no question it was made worse last week. Now, Democrats say they were misled to create the scenario where most Republicans were on the floor at 8.30 a.m. for a vote that would happen a minute later and very few Democrats, just nine, were there. Now, that's not normal. Republicans counter they were following the rules and are angry that their override action was initially described in some media reports as happening while Democrats were attending a 9-11 ceremony, which also wasn't true. 
But does anyone really think passing a two-year, $24 billion budget with only 64 of the 120 House members voting is the way to show voters that our elected officials know how to work together and govern? In the meantime, there's still no final budget. Our teachers still get no raises. Our schools and teachers get no additional money for school supplies. And our school buildings themselves, many antiquated, unsafe, and overcrowded, still get no money. So, for my word, last week was a bad week for the state. We need to refocus on what matters starting with our public schools. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you soon.